Welcome to the Black Psychologist Podcast, where we have conversations and give insight into human behavior and promote mental health wellness. I'm Dr. Kyle Osborne, and with my co-host, Dr. Jason Coleman, we'll discuss health topics, everyday life issues, and try to give you a better understanding of yourself, other people, and the world around you. So just sit back, relax, and hopefully you'll leave with some information that'll have you living your best healthy life. Thanks for listening and enjoy the podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's the Black Psychologist Podcast, episode 38. We have quite a bit to talk about today, a few topics to get to. So we appreciate everybody listening, watching. We're appreciating all the support. You guys could be anywhere in the world, but you're here listening and watching us. And uh, we appreciate that. So and also uh, shout out and thank you for everybody also listening on to um, on all the streaming platforms. Um, I will be one of your humble and gracious hosts this evening. Dr. Kyle Osborne. He is I and I am him. And of course, I'm never here by myself. This guy, he's actually as good as everyone else pretends to be <laughs> scary. All right. The one and only Dr. Jason Coleman. How are you, good brother? What's good, bro? I'm good, man. It's you know, it's uh, what is it? Wild card weekend. You wild know, wild card weekend. Yeah, it's a little cold out here in Philly, but you know, we doing it anyway. Um, listen, man, it's a good weekend. We're gonna watch some good football. You know, also, you know, obviously we're gonna cover some good topics in the news. But feeling good, man. Yeah, I ain't getting no, I ain't getting no rest this weekend, but it's all right. It's cool, bro. Like you said, we're getting about to get that uh that self-care in with that uh with the football wild card weekend. Absolutely, you know, uh things will be kicking off probably next few minutes. So yeah, we're gonna, you know, give some people some good information out there, some education, have some fun while we're doing it, and then uh, you know, get to this football thing. So you got the fresh hoodie on, man. I we was talking earlier. I ain't I ain't even get to tell you, Master Fresh Hoodie. I like that joint. Appreciate man. that, bro. I see you over there with the low, you know. I, I hey, see you, man, man. you know, you, you know, know, like you yeah. said, it's it's chilly out here. This is hoodie weather. Exactly. You know, you know, we've been doing you know, we've been doing this this low since you know 94, 95. Oh, I don't date right. myself, but you they, know, they, 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 they nothing new. Nothing new. That's right. That's right. All right, so let, let's get to it. Um all right, Jay. So before the end of last year, uh, Dr. Alex George, who is the UK uh, youth mental health ambassador for the UK government, wanted to tackle the stigma uh, around taking medication for mental health problems. And he did so um, with a social media campaign. So on his Instagram um, post and in TikTok, he showed his pill in his hand and he shared that he takes medication to manage his anxiety along with going to therapy and self-care. Um, and he challenged his followers to post photos of their pills to show that they are proud and to take control of their health. All right. And he calls it the uh, post your pill challenge. And I'm going to read a quick excerpt from uh, from his post. He said, so many people live with medication stigma every day, a fear that they will be judged and be um, and being weak and being discriminated against simply for taking a pill to help with their mental health. He said, I can tell you now I am not ashamed. I am proud to take control of my own health. This is this does not make me weak or less able. It makes me stronger. He clarified by saying medication is not the answer for everyone, but that anyone who needs it should have access without barriers or shame. All right. 
Jay, what is your take on the post your pill challenge? Um, I got a couple of different takes. I mean, I want to know your opinion too. Um, you know, one thing, I guess I, I was just kind of looking, you know, he is on A&E channel, but he's a general practitioner over there in the UK. Right. Um, I just, I became aware of this because like I was seeing it on my page, on my, on my, um, on my Instagram page and on my LinkedIn page, especially. Right. Um, so then me and you start talking about it. So obviously we wanted to talk about it. Um, a lot of people are doing this right now. I started thinking about it immediately. I'm like, you know, this is a good thing. Um, the one reason why I think it's a good thing is because of the position he's in, right? He's a medical doctor. He's a physician. He's usually on the other side, right? Prescribing the medication, right? Um, so it's always important when somebody, you know, in that position, in that high position shows a vulnerability, right? And I'm not saying in a negative way. I mean, in terms of normalizing what a lot of people have in terms of anxiety, you know, which is a very regular thing. So I think it's very important that somebody in his position is specifically a medical doctor will say that, right? Because um, these are some of the people that perception could be that they're the, they're, they're the strongest and shouldn't be able to acknowledge any weakness, right? Does it take away from his ability to do his job? Absolutely not, right? Um, so I think it's great in terms of those things. Um, so I think it could be empowering to a lot of people the same way, you know, I mean, I'm not necessarily an individual therapy, but when I tell people, yeah, my bad. When I tell people I was working with the um, uh, wellness coach at my job, right? It kind of normalizes the process of being on the other side of the table, right? Um, I'm not in therapy now, but if I had time, would I go to therapy? Absolutely. You know what I mean? Um, just in terms of the support aspect of it. So I think when we say that, and we really genuinely talk about it, I think it does a lot. Um, so I think it's great from that standpoint. But again, always in terms of devil's advocate, I always kind of, in terms of flushing these issues out and looking at it, I'm like, well, what does that really mean to the person that we're, we're very much people in positions of privilege, right? Um, our titles assort, afford us a certain amount of privilege. I'm not saying that we are immune to any type of oppression or discrimination, but our titles afford us a certain amount of privilege. And what I mean by that is the not having the fear of posting your pill and that having ne negative implications from your employer or your job or prospective clients, perhaps. Right. So I'm looking as I'm writing, I'm thinking like I'm not making a judgment, but um, it may be OK for Dr. George and for us. But would it be OK if your financial manager acknowledged he had problems managing with, with depression, right? How would you feel about that? The person is in charge of your money, your heart surgeon, right? Uh, correctional officers, police officers, right? When you start getting into different type of jobs, you know, or even somebody who, you know, might just work for somebody's business and, and the person feels like they, their employees are a representation of them and they have some type of problem. Um, this is where stigma comes into play, right? Do I think that it would um, impede any of these people from doing their jobs, you know, efficiently um, if their medication was managed correctly? No, mm -hmm. you know. Um, but what I'm saying is if we're talking about public perception and how it might impact business and your personal interactions, that's a totally different story. Right. So 
Um, long answer to a short question, right? But as as we always kind of get to, it's like, yes, but what about the people that don't have that privilege or protection, right? That some of us have. No, it's an important uh, consideration. Um, I have some somewhere like along those lines. Uh, like I, I feel like this campaign sparks a very important discussion, like centered around mental health stigma um, and addressing barriers regarding medication treatment. Right. Because that's that's also another issue or another part of the mental health stigma is, you know, the type of treatment and medication and what associations come with, you know, with that. Um, And it appears that it's having a huge impact um, and a positive response as evidenced in, you know, his outpouring of support from his followers, from other notable uh, figures, other medical um, personnel that have also, you know, um, participated in the challenge, you know, and like you mentioned, whenever you do have influencers or you have popular figures that are being open about their mental health, that puts you one step closer to, you know, ending the stigma, right? And that in this long journey and battle against stigma. What I'll say um, at the same time is if you are going to participate in this challenge, um, it should really be at your comfort level, regarding sharing that type of health information because that's that's what it is right it it is a form of kind of like you're breaking that 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 HIPAA that you're sharing your health information you know with the world on a public platform you know with the general public um and that may entail a result like you spoke of of one area is your employment right your job your you know what are some of the the ramifications or consequences that comes along with um i'm thinking also you have to think about what about other members of you know your family or your friends right that may bring also unwanted attention you know not just to you but to other family members so you're thinking about you know if you know you have jerome's mom right say jerome's in school right he's in middle school he's in high school but jerome's mom or dad gets on and says, hey, you know what? This is my Zoloft pill, right? This is my lithium pill. This is my whatever pill, which is great, right? It's empowering for, for that parent or that individual. But now you have some of Jerome's friends, right? Now you have other family members. Now you have other people. And like, yo, I didn't know your mom was, was on this and your mom is such such. So I think sometimes when you are sharing information, that, and that's, you know, not a means that you want to stifle or censor someone being becoming empowered and and sharing that information. But you also have to take in consideration me sharing this personal information because of the stigma that it comes with, like you just mentioned, how is that going to affect other people? Right? Right. Like, how is that going to affect, you know, because again, you are putting the information out there. And like you said, there is, you know, a domino effect or a triple, you know, so what I would say, um, is that before you do share this information is have communication with other people around you, right? Sharing and saying, Hey, I'm going to share this information and you know, it might be brought to your doorstep or people might be communicating to you about this. So everybody's on the same page. So maybe you don't have other family members. You don't have friends or other people that are close to you, you know, um, that are blindsided, but you know, um, there are other different areas, like you mentioned, especially like work, but other different areas of your life um, that, you know, could be affected by you kind of sharing this health information. Um, And again, this is not to discourage anyone, um, but I'm just saying 
I would just say if you do proceed with this this challenge and you participate, it's just kind of doing so with caution. You know, and I would I would recommend that even if it's it's a medical or physical ailment, right? You know, whether somebody gets up there and says, oh, well, this is my medication for my hypertension or this is my medication for my MS or for my this is my, you know, medication for my my diabetes. Because, again, not all information is for everybody. You don't know what certain people are going to do with that information or, you know, you're inviting, you know, again, people sometimes to ask questions, maybe unwanted attention. And now as opposed to you maybe going into one area of your life or one environment like work, now people are asking you questions about your medication, about your health and things, which is still private, I feel like. So, you know, just trying to, as you do so, just do so with caution. I mean, I, I agree. Um, I can't really add anything to that, except, um, I mean, the only other point I would make is that we got to be very careful, like, Again, certain things start off as a good idea and then they evolve into something else, right? Um, we got to remember the culture that we're in in terms of social media. Things change and evolve rapidly very fast, right? And we always have to be thinking ahead and concerned. Um, you know, as psychologists, as therapists, we're always thinking ahead and thinking about vulnerable populations, mm. right? And we think about these challenges, ice bucket challenge, cinnamon challenge, right? We will be having a very difficult, a different conversation if we were talking about, let's think about it, inpatient populations, individuals who spend time there, those are vulnerable populations in general. I'm not saying every single person, but they're vulnerable populations in general because of the, the amount of challenges that they're dealing with, right? So think about if we have kids doing this challenge who take psychotropic medications, right? Who take anxiety medications and they're posting their medications. Right. So what are the all of the things that they're making themselves vulnerable to? Right. We're not we're not just talking about people. Maybe connecting with them, trying to buy the medication. Right. That's one. That's just one angle. Right. Mm -hmm. But then but then we but then we have um, you potentially uh, alerting the world as to, you know, what some of your challenges are. Right. What are your mental health diagnoses are? Right. Different right. things. Um, and it goes down the line. So, I mean, obviously we could, we could go all the way down the rabbit hole with it. Um, but again, I think the spirit of what's going on right now is a good thing, right? We're trying to reduce stigma um, and medication stigma is a real, real problem, right? But again, you know, we, we've already kind of flushed out a couple of different situations where, where it can get a little crazy. Right. Like it's um, it's definitely coming from a good place. And, um, you know, I'm a supporter of this, um, you know, so I'm, I, I like what, um, you know, what Dr. Alex George is, is doing. Um, and again, it, it's it's going it's going towards it's promoting a good message. And I, I like the fact that he also said, I'm not saying I'm not pro medication if it's not warranted. Right. So this isn't you know, he's not trying to isolate another group of people that aren't taking medication. He's saying, Hey, if this is for you, or if you do take medication, he's just kind of in that message of empowerment. So um, we'll see. And like, we're, I think we're both saying is, you know, do so with caution and, and it should be a well thought out, you know, decision. If you do, you know, involve yourself in this. All right. So staying with uh, the topic of stigma, Jay, um, some mental health advocates in Massachusetts would like to, have a new name for schizophrenia. 
They stated by changing the name of the mental illness, it could do it could go a long way into reducing its stigma. So there's a group called the Consumer Advisory Board. And together with researchers, I mean, with researchers, they recently put out a survey to about 1200 people who were diagnosed with schizophrenia, uh, their family members, mental health professionals and government officials. And to get a sense of how many stakeholders would like to change the name of schizophrenia, um, the motive behind this. Um, it, this possible change is that there were various individuals um, that were involved with organizing this study that noted that over time, um, the term has been associated with hopelessness, um, dangerousness, erratic behavior, volatile behavior, um, and it's often misused on how it's portrayed in the media, uh, how people often confuse it with DID, dissociative identity disorder. Um, and that it also interferes with people wanting to get care due to the stigma surrounding the term. So um, so they had this survey and uh, out of that study, out of that study, uh, three quarters of the survey respondents reported wanting a new name for schizophrenia. And some of the suggestions that came up were altered perception syndrome, uh, attuned disorder, integration disorder and disconnectivity syndrome. All right. So those were some of the uh, the um, potential name changes that they were thinking of. All right. Jay, what are um, what are your thoughts? What was, your, what was your take on this study? Uh, I mean, listen, I understand the sentiment. Right. Like, I understand why they're saying that um, there's a lot of obviously there's a lot of stigma associated with severe and persistent mental illness, you know, um, mood disorders. So whether you're talking about bipolar disorder um, schizophrenia, anything that involves like a lot of like, you know, positive symptoms and hallucinations and all of those things, you know, um, there's a lot of stigma associated with it, right? We already know why we don't have to kind of hash out the history. We've seen movies, you know, before I was even in mental health, I probably have my own wrong idea of kind of what schizophrenia or bipolar disorder was, mm. um, you know, I don't know about your family, but just, you know, growing up, being around people, you know, you've heard people throw other accusations at people, calling them certain names, you know, because they might have got upset or different things. Um, so but but again, I don't think the term itself is the problem. Right. Because I, I think it's the stigma associated with the term. Right. I think it's the fact that when we hear I think that it's the fact that when we hear chronic about chronic mental illnesses such as like bipolar disorder or schizophrenia, we automatically associate that with like violence, you know, erratic behavior and that type of stuff, right? So it's like, okay, change the name from schizophrenia to something else, you know, two to three years from now, they're going to be associating that something else with those same, you know, um, stereotypic behaviors. Um, and you and I know, no, you and you and I know that as people who work in this field, you know that yes, when you work in an inpatient facility, you know your chances of being assaulted by any patient, right, go up, right. Yeah. Um, but we also know, you know, that our patients with the mood disorders or our patients, you know, um, who have schizo, who are diagnosed with schizophrenia, aren't necessarily the most violent ones in the facility or the ones you need to be worried about. Right. Right. Um, and we just know that from our everyday work and the statistics support that, too. Right. So I think 
we got to kind of take this problem step by step, right? I think one of the first things we got to kind of do is try to educate people, you know, as to, you know, what what is really going on with this disorder and, you know, what they're seeing versus what what is like a myth and what is the movies, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I mean, you know, it's not that crazy because it's like we've seen prior examples right we don't really use the term mental retardation you know um except in maybe a a, a few settings um but you know intellectual disability um you know that's what people use so we've seen it um so it's not it's not you know like that out of the ordinary but again i just think we need to attack the root right and the root is kind of like the stigma and all of those things but what did you think when you read this one? Um, I think it, the issue is both. I think it's the stigma attached to it. And I think it's also um, the term itself that I think kind of contributes to it. I mean, like you mentioned, if you change the name, there's, there's probably going to be another different type of association that comes with it also. But just as you mentioned, I do feel like in especially in our field that there needs to be more of a proactive approach as far as changing the terminology to fit what it actually describes. Right. So the term schizophrenia is is over 100 years old. Right. It's based off of, it's a derivative off of split brain. Right. What Greek the Greek word for for split brain. And you and I know now, right, that that's not the case. That's not what happened with schizophrenia. So like our knowledge regarding the symptomology, the the prognosis, the treatment course, all of that has changed. However, the term has stayed relatively the same. Right now they have like a, you know, a schizophrenia kind of a spectrum because there are other related um schizophrenia like based disorders however we still kind of have that old name which doesn't really fit what's going on and uh, you know i i absolutely i agree with what they're saying um i don't know if like the alter perception disorder syndrome and disconnectivity syndrome i don't know if those will be i don't think those are appropriate names because that also doesn't fit um but i do feel like when you have some of these terminologies just like with any type of like physical ailment you know it should medically kind of accurate reflect what's transpiring with the diagnosis and i also agree with what some of the um you know the respondents uh who are part of the study were saying is that you know it should involve some form and or in some capacity the people that you know are diagnosed or that that particular community because they're the ones that have to live with that label they're going to be the ones that are you know going to be associated with like you said whatever stigma or whatever information is going to be associated with that diagnosis. Um, So it should be a diagnosis or it should be at least a term that as much as possible can kind of capture like their own sensibilities about themselves. You know, and we've seen it done. Like we saw multiple personality disorder change to DID, right? Like multiple personality disorder was like a very vague, very type of um, popular media type of popular culture thing like multiple personality disorder like that sounds like something off the tv but that was actually the diagnosis and then because it is a disassociative um disorder they appropriately named it did right dissociative identity disorder which is more fitting to it so they did the same thing with um who was the old one that was in the dsm4 um gender identity disorder right 
So mm-hmm. we saw how many that was an issue with the LGBTQ I mean community because they were you had medical officials actually diagnosing people that you know that they had you know they were discussing you know their change as far as their orientation or their identity um, were being diagnosed with this, which was harmful. So then with more research and more communication, then it's you know I think it's gender uh, dysmorphia, right, which now is pertaining to the distress or, you know, emotion and other different difficulties that individual experiences as opposed to like just diagnosing them with a disorder just because they're experiencing, you know, um, you know, the change of sex and orientations and things of that nature. So I feel like it can be done. Now it's going to take a lot of time. And, you know, uh, ultimately the researchers or the scientists or the medical personnel kind of have that final say. But I mean, it can be done. And I feel like it should reflect what's actually going on with the diagnosis as opposed to just we still using that old hundred year term. I mean, I, you know, I respect your opinion. My my and I don't mean to sound insensitive, but I just don't like I don't think the patient should have any say in with the in the name of the disorders. I'm I'm just being honest because for me. It just, it's, it's just a name. Like, we live in a society where bad means good to some people, man. You know what I mean? So I just look at it like, again, if, like, if we're talking about something that is, if we're talking about something in general, no. Like, if we're talking about something that is specific, like the Washington Redskins, right? It's a derogatory term. They want to change it. Cool. But, if, but most people, like you, are very intelligent person and you do your research so you know what the meaning of the word schizophrenia is most people have no idea what the meaning of it is right the same way most people don't know that WIC stands for women infants and children but they know what the service is for they know what a family first card is so most people when they know bipolar disorder they have no idea what what a manic person is you could say bipolar disorder and then say mania Two, two seconds later, and they some people wouldn't even know what you're talking about, that they those two things are related. So in my opinion, I think the, the stigma comes from the meaning they're associating with it. We could call it, you know, you know, whatever. We call it Jason Coleman and Kyle disorder. And, and they would still be, as soon as they found out that it stood for those positive symptoms of hallucinations, delusions, pressure speech, they would be like, well, Jason Coleman and Kyle disorder means that you're great. That's my my opinion. I, and I'm not and I'm not saying that to say that I disagree with what you said either, because as you was talking, you know, I, I wasn't looking at it that way necessarily. So I do think like with some of the a lot some of the other examples you gave, um the description of the disorder does matter, right? right. But I just don't think how the patients feel about the name really i mean I would, I, I would just discount that less i'm not saying it doesn't matter i don't want it to be dismissive but i would discount it a, li- a little bit no what i'm what i'm thinking is if it accurately describes one what's happening in the disorder right medically right. and then also it in, it can also include okay what are the person's kind of abilities right what are their sensibilities of themselves i feel like that makes it more inclusive now it's a sense of you know, majority, it should absolutely be, you know, just like with any t- any other type of ailment, it should describe what's taking place. So, like I said, the scientists and the medical professionals are going to have, of, like with anything else, final say. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. But if it's a situation where they're saying, hey, let's get this as closely as related and have some input from the people that are actually experiencing this and say, hey, you know, we're thinking about these particular type of titles or, or terms that describe what's taking place and, you know, getting some input. I feel like that's the appropriate way to go about it. Will that probably happen? Probably not, because you have billing, you have pharmaceuticals, you have all these other different, you know, um, different administrative and bureaucratic things that go into, you know, any type of diagnosis. Mm -hmm. But I do feel like it should encompass, you know, not only just the medical part, but actually what, um, you know, the individuals that are experiencing this disorder, um, what their ability is and their, their kind of sensibility. So we'll see, you know, I mean, I'm sure this is happening in Massachusetts, but I'm sure this is not the only place um, where, you know, you have some of these groups that are, are advocating for names. And, you know, I'll say, Jay, like what I've also noticed, even, you know, the terminologies change. I think it's a little bit more difficult for actual like billing and, and diagnosis, like as far as like we said, like with the DIDs and schizophrenias. But even just the language in our field is changing. Like um, like what comes to mind is um, treatment resistant. Right. So now it's it's not so much being called treatment resistant as now it's called being treatment hesitant because of the association that's attached to well you're you're it's a negative association by saying a client or a person is is resisting treatment right that sure. can be harmful same thing with attention seeking right that's been a, you know that's had a negative association for years so now it's connection seeking is the term that they you know they're preferring to use so you're kind of seeing this more softer language as much as possible, negative, you know, association and trying to have more of a a positive association with these newer terms. Mm -hmm. Um, But we'll see, you know, it's something to continue to, you know, monitor. I know it's not, again, uh, something that's completely out the realm because they've done a further diagnosis. Um, So, you know, we'll see, you know, something to continue to monitor and develop, you know? And I mean, listen, um, you might be completely right because, you know, you were talking about the patient's feelings about you know, the label and, you know, in the article, they were talking about the name affects for at least some of these people in the article, it affects their access to care, right? Because they didn't want to like discuss it or say the, the, you know, the diagnosis. So, right. you know, again, it, it didn't really resonate too much with me, but, you know, what do I know, right? Because, you know, the people that are saying, you know, the people at least that they talked about in this article, some of them, you know, felt the same way. So, you know, all right. So speaking of uh, we talked about our field, right? Jay, do you enjoy your job? Do you, are you are you satisfied? Of course, man. All right. Cool. Well, I'll tell you what. Quitting your job could actually do wonders for your mental health. All right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So what we're going to do, we're going to find out if, you know, that's the right fit for you and our listeners and watchers regarding an article that stated that quitting your job could actually do wonders for your mental health. All right. So. All right. People are quitting their jobs um, across the United States, man, at record levels. Um, in October, 4.2 million people quit their jobs across the United States, according to the uh, Bureau of Labor uh, Statistics. This follows similar high numbers in previous months. Now, we know that there were obvious mental health stressors prior to March of last year. Uh, however, it appears that once the pandemic came into effect, it changed and, and contributed to additional stressors. Some of those being included that 
it changed employer expectations, um, including like longer work hours for individuals that started working from home. Uh, there was like a lack of boundaries between work and personal life, being that now your home is also becoming like your office. Um, there was that factored and resulted in additional anxiety, additional stress, frustration, irritability. Um, there was a 2021 survey from the American Psychological Association that found that almost two thirds of respondents working from home reported feeling isolated and lonely. And that while another 17 percent said that they feel this way all the time. And then there was 22 percent that reported the struggling to stop working at the end of the day. And then, then there was another 45 percent that said that they struggle with that um, almost frequently. So um, what's your take um, on, you know, that quitting your job could actually do wonders for your mental health? And what do you think is kind of in addition to what we talked about has contributed to this? Uh, OK, so you're going to have to help me understand the other part of it in terms of because, again, like. I, when I was going through this article, right. I was trying to figure out 4.2 million people is a lot of people. You know what I mean? Um, so I was just trying to figure out why. And then just thinking about, I was like, I don't think everybody has, I, I, again, I don't, I don't want to call the article disingenuous, but I think with so many things going on at the same time in our country, it's, it's, it's kind of easy to, to, see one thing and kind of conflate it, conflate it with the other. And what I'm saying, what I mean is this, they were kind of talking about all the different reasons why people quit their jobs. And I think that's an important factor to consider, right? Mm -hmm. um, because somebody quitting their job because of convenience, right? Like it's, 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 I can save money working remotely. I don't have to work um, around people. I don't have to pay for an office and I can make the same amount of money seeing me, uh, and see the same amount of clients. That's a different level of like bringing, reducing your stress than kind of, I got to stop working where I'm used to going for the last 10 years because my children are five and six and I got to do homework with them, right? So one person is like relocating, I'm gonna work from home. Other person is quitting a job because boom, you know, I got to stay home for childcare, right? Um, and then you got other people who were just kind of forced out of the workforce because of like medical reasons. They didn't want to get the vaccine or health concerns. Right. Um, or stress for working in the workplace around the virus. Right. So I just don't know how you sort all these things out. And this is my whole point. I just don't know how you sort all of these things out and then get to quitting your job. Right. Which 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 can create so many other problems financially for you socially for you being cut off from your a lot of people's support network right um like your personal sense of like self-esteem self-efficacy it's kind of like one domino it's, it's kind of like you, you're cutting your nose off to spite your face you know and i get it it's a you know it's like a catchy title you know bring us in um and i do see how like how rethinking your job could save your mental health you know um, but there's just so many factors here. So as you can see, I'm all over the place. Right. And I haven't really landed in a place as to, <laughs> you know, I, I'm dead serious because of all the factors that they was talking about. So yeah, maybe I'll, maybe I'll uh, decide why you're talking, but <laughs> no, it's a lot of factors. Um, and I think that's something that they, they didn't really 
include as much in this article. I think a lot of it, they, they focused on a lot of the stressors and um, that are associated with work. Um, and understandably so. I understand the, the part of um, of the impact that COVID has on, you know, working at home and all those stressors. And um, I think that uh, they're coming from a standpoint of, well, you know, it's uh, to alleviate that, you know, your stress or your mental health issues. If it's work related, then just quit your job. Right. Which I, <laughs> which is like, OK, yeah, that, that'll do it. That would provide immediate relief. But like you mentioned, it's also going to, you know, create another host of issues if you're not doing it, um, you know, in the right manner. So that was just my thing. One, I thought about, well, there are other different things you can do prior to quitting your job. Right. You know, there's we talked about it last or last episode um, was the EAP. Right. Using your employee assistance benefits. Right. Now, not every employer has those benefits. Right. But it is something that if you are experiencing, you know, some of those, you know, your, you know, the, the feeling of being depleted at work or due to work, your irritability, poor sleep due to work and anxiety. You know, th- when you're experiencing those symptoms, I think, you know, for us, the first recommendation is to see what um, benefits your job has in regards to, you know, professional support. And if they don't, then that's okay. Exercising or exploring outside professional help, right? Other support, social support, things of that nature. Um, two, I feel like, you need to make an informed decision before you just kind of just quit your job, right? It's, you know, you need to think about your mental health um, when envisioning quitting your job. I think that's right. what they kind of <laughs> left out because, you know, that decision, you know, you need to see if that's going to benefit your mental health or if that's going to create more stressors. So, right. all right. And I totally understand it. Like if your job is com- is very unhealthy for you, right? If it's toxic, if it's all these other different things that I mentioned and then totally, yes, absolutely stepping away from that. Um, you know, especially if it's unsafe, all these other different factors. Yeah. Then you absolutely need to step away from that, that particular job. Other than that, I feel like it needs to be a situation where you're making a plan, right? You're saving up, you're creating maybe some other different type of revenue. You're having communication with your family, with, you know, your spouse or partner, um, prior to you just doing that extreme, because that's an extreme, you know, decision just to kind of quit your job. And so, you know, it, it that, that's kind of that was my kind of take. Well, well, yeah, um, you know, get some support and then make a plan. If you need, you're going to exit like it there absolutely should be an exit strategy outside of like your job being like completely unhealthy, like to the point where it's unsafe for you to be there. So, you know, I mean, I agree with you totally, man. Um, again, like that's one of the first things I wrote down when I was reading this, like. I got more questions than like comments, you know, um, because again, and I, and we don't have to like totally go here. I mean, cause it's obvious to everybody, you know, that, you know, you got to have a certain amount of privilege to be able to like quit your job and just yeah, yeah. go on home and just decide what you're going to do next. Or, uh, you know, um, so we don't even have to go down that road with the conversation. Um, but I think more importantly, the conversation is just to, figure out new ways either to work, right? Either whether we talk about remotely, whether we're talking about in a hybrid uh, situation or try to use resources through your job to kind of manage those stressors, right? Because 
quitting your job ultimately for most of us is going to create more problems in general. And, and then in the long run, you know, it might create more mental health kind of challenges for you in terms of stress and, you know, possibly other problems and stuff like that. So, I mean, the one thing also like I, that I was reading um, is that they really didn't talk about it, that there were other considerations and other reasons. I think that 4.2 million people quit their job. I think also while the pandemic created a lot of challenges for uh, like, you know, many people regarding employment and working right. from home, I think it also increased um, that entrepreneurship for a lot of people that went home because now you had the increased opportunity to work on your hobbies, right? You were able to do like freelance work. You were able to kind of create another revenue of income for yourself. So I know a lot of people and they were, I was reading another article like a few months back that a lot of people, you know, figure out that, Hey, you know what? I don't have to do this nine to five or kind of be on this, you know, this structure anymore, like being home during the pandemic allowed me to start working on some other different um, opportunities that created income. So I saw a lot of people leaving the workforce in that sense because they were like, Hey, well, you know what? I'm good at baking. I started doing baking and selling it on, you know, on Instagram or I was able to create a shop or other, these other different just kind of endeavors where um, people realize that, you know what, you know, I can make some other different income. And so maybe doing this job, you know, is not the manner in which I, I need to do it. I thought I did, but now kind of gave us a new opportunity. So that was some other different reasons why I think contributed also to people kind of quitting or resigning from their, you know, their regular employment because other opportunities and people became entrepreneurs via all kinds of other different avenues. So, um, and then also remember like October roughly coincides kind of with this new wave in terms of like the Omicron and it kind of, the numbers kind of escalating to the point where, I don't know if there was new restrictions imposed, but, you know, you might have had um, this is when like schools and stuff started reclosing and, and going. So you might have had people that had to make that decision like, OK, the school year starting, you know, I can't go back and forth. You know, I'm going to stay home with my kids, you know, because, you know, the schools were kind of I mean, I noticed from my nieces and nephews and stuff, but the schools are non-committal. You know what I mean? They're like, well. We're going to go hybrid until the 20th and then the 20th turns into the 15th and then it turns into the first. Um, so you might have had a lot of parents, you know, who have who are the primary caregivers um, that had to make that decision. And ultimately, they ended up staying home and then starting that business that you were talking about. Yeah, that's true. So absolutely, guys, um, listeners and watchers out there, before you quit your job, please make uh, an informed decision. Go through the steps, get support if you are experiencing any um you know, mental health challenges, get support prior to you, you know, making that decision to quit. All right. So that doesn't create other issues. We'll do that. All right. He'll he'll send you a cash out. That's it. That's it. I got it. I got you. Don't worry about it. Uh, Speaking of COVID. uh, So according to a laboratory study recently published in the Journal of Nature Products, uh, cannabis compounds prevented the virus that causes COVID-19 from penetrating health human cells. All right. Now, before I go forward, Jay, let me just kind of make this uh, this disclaimer. OK. Smoking weed will not protect you from the virus. OK, so <laughs> all right. I don't want people going out there wondering, like, oh, let me just go light one up real quick. I'll be cool. But no, that's not that's not the way it works. All right. And so just want to kind of put that disclaimer out 
you know, before they say they heard that on, on the, the Black Psychologist podcast. <laughs> all right. All right. So involved in this study. All right. The two compounds commonly found in hemp called the uh, cannabinoid uh, acid. Wow. Uh, I butchered that. Yeah. 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 That. That's what, hey, 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 don't even go there. Um, <laughs> otherwise known as CBGA. That's, that's what we're going to call it. And the other compound known as cannabidolic acid CBDA. Okay. Listen, right. it'll put you right out of medical school. That, that's First all right. That, that, First day. All right. I got my, I got my DR period. I'm good. <laughs> all right. Well, these two compounds were identified during a chemical screening effort as having potential to combat uh, coronavirus. So researchers indicated that they bound, um, to spike proteins found in the virus, and they blocked the step pathogen used to infect people. Uh, they went on to report that these compounds can be taken orally and have a long history of safe use in humans. Um, they have the potential to prevent as well as treat infection by COVID. All right. What is your take on this, Jay, as you read this article? Um, I thought this was interesting on a variety of levels, right? Um one, just because we were just talking about stigma, right? Mm -hmm. And and under the kind of the umbrella of stigma, you know, we can kind of talk about like the culture change that's been occurring in the United States and, you know, especially in regards to cannabis, right? I'm right. from New Jersey. Um, New Jersey just re recently legalized marijuana. Um, but even besides that, in terms of culturally, the, that change in terms of stigma, you know, again, well-documented, you know, the medical benefits of CBD, hemp, cannabis when we talk about cancer nausea glaucoma uh, uh nausea glaucoma pain uh multiple sclerosis all of these things right um so that's why it was interesting to me when i saw the article because i'm like this is just another property you know like healing property that we're kind of seeing right right um again um i i just you know i, I just wonder you know how in the future, like how, how these two things are going to marry each other, for lack of a better term, right? Um, and I don't mean to say this like in terms of another tease, but like, you know, like coming up in the next couple of weeks, there was another article we're going to talk about about ketamine, right? And depression, right? Um, and I just, you know, want to kind of talk about how like some of these you know, drugs would have, would have been illegal at some point, and we're finding like um, out about some of the medical and beneficial properties. Um, just how we're going to balance, you know, that that change, that cultural change, you know, um, and the new kind of availability and frequency that people are going to be using it for other reasons, right? Yeah. Um, so, in terms of research, I think it's beneficial. Um, very exciting that they said it's effective for the new variants, right? Um, and of course, we know um, of all of like the psychological and impact in terms of, you know, that COVID-19 has in a variety of ways, whether you get it or whether, you know, you're just, you know, being affect, uh, affected by the, you know, the effects of it. Um, but again, you know, it's, it's, it's just exciting just, just to kind of see, you know, uh, any new treatment that's helping people, you know? Yeah, I... Um... I'm on that train too. Um, I I've I think um, two words. It was interesting 
and promising, right? Those are the two words that came to mind for me as I was reading it. Um, for the reason that, you know, that this does hint at the, that there may be some therapeutic potential, you know, with this research endeavor. It's, um, I, I think it's another important step in the direction of identifying uh, potential therapies that could protect against COVID. And I think that's where we need to be at right now. Um, you know, however, you know, I, before we get too excited, we have to remember that and keep in mind that this is still preliminary, right? Mm -hmm. Like I think the, um, the, the tests were on kidney. I mean, we're on human kidney cells. They weren't on like actual humans. Mm -hmm. So, and, um, you know, that there still needs to be more studied in like several other settings that can provide like before we can provide like positive definitive results before we can actually say that this is like going to be effective. You know, I mean, there are some, you know, there are some positives that I think with they, they mentioned that the CBGA and the CBDA are um, their derivative off of cannabis and they're not toxic, right? They're non um, intoxication. So you can't get high off of that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's a plus. Um, I'm, I'm on the same, you know, um, thought process as you is that I think that since for so long, there was like this stigma regarding, you know, cannabis and marijuana and all the, and its benefits, and especially because it was a, um, was it a schedule one? I think, it, I think cannabis used to be a schedule one drug, but right. now that it's legal and now that hemp is legal, you know, it's going to lend itself to research being conducted, you know, prior to that, companies weren't able and didn't want to kind of touch it just because of the culture and all the other different ramifications that, that served as barriers to studying it. Um, but just as you, you mentioned a couple of them, that there are so many different benefits to, um, you know, that, that marijuana and that hemp can kind of benefit. So I feel like being that it is legal now, this is a great opportunity for us to explore Right. And I feel like we should have as many different explorations into what can be helpful protecting against COVID as much as possible. So if hemp um, and cannabis is among those, then I'm, I'm totally with it, you know. Um, so we'll see. I, I do hope that this does kind of open the floodgates regarding, um, you know, the study of of uh, of CBD, GA, I mean, CBGA and CBDA um, so we can continue to go forward with this fight and combat this, you know, this COVID, because like you said, there's so many different variants that are coming out. Right. I think we were before the end of the year, this was like the, what, the second or third variant that it was. Right. And I, you know, I'm on the strong, you know, thought process that there are going to be more variants as we go into, you know, continue to 2022. So we need to continue, you know, exploring what are some of these other different, you know, uh, therapeutic interventions that we can, you know, possibly entertain or use. You know, I mean, listen, I just think it's going to be interesting because in the last I mean, we, you know, in the last year or so, we didn't talk about we talked about therapy. We didn't talk about THC, cannabis, mushrooms, ketamine. Like, again, we wouldn't be talking about these things if there were, you know, wasn't studies or promising data. But how is that going to play with like people from an older generation? Right. Um, who look at these as like illegal drugs, right? There are some people where it doesn't matter if cannabis is legal or not. Like they may not, they may know they can't call the police on you no more, but you're not going to convince them that it's not, you know, um, 
an illegal drug, right? There's no, there's some people with the logic, cannabis, wine, right? Cannabis, Budweiser. That is the reality of the United States where we're at in most of our states, right? Um, but in terms of how long that's going to take for people to kind of look at ketamine or, or mushrooms or THC as like a real treatment and accept that and be willing, um, you know, to kind of go that route. It's just interesting conversation. You know? No, you're right. I mean, you're going to have definitely a population of individuals that are going to have difficulty kind of diffusing from their that core idea or belief that they they've had for so long of that. Well, you know, hemp, marijuana, weed or cannabis is illegal. You know, how can it be used? It's, I'm not going to take anything illegal. I'm not going to put that in my system. All these other different ideas um, that they've carried around for years. So it's going to be difficult for them to kind of diffuse from that thought process. Hopefully information comes out, um, you know, they're, they'll be open to that, right? Because that's what it also comes down to is your openness to receiving new information, right? And if you're able to do so, that might be the difference between being healthy and unhealthy, saving your life. That's the medical belief model, man. You know, it depends on that person's, you know, how they feel and how they think the, it's going to impact them and whether, you know, they want to make that decision regarding their health. That's going to be, um, I don't know, man. It'll be so, interesting to watch, man. You it's know? Going to be interesting. And then think about it. Like, I'm thinking about ages, right? But think about, like, when you start talking about, like, religious-wise and then people's political views and how that's influencing people's health decisions now. You know? Um, I mean, you got to think. If this says we're talking about this particular endeavor, right, this particular research, if it gets endorsed right it passes approval what are we talking about as far as are, are we gonna allow kids to take it right if it fights covid yeah. you know i mean so you got to think about that it's the idea now i just talked about now cbda and, and the ga they they're not you know they're um non-intoxication compounds so there's, there's no high element to it but right. you may still have some parents that are like you said are refused to that idea of like i'm not giving my kid cannabis <laughs> i'm like i'm not giving my kid that's what i mean that's most likely that's what i think you're gonna be dealing with um i'm just speculating but yeah, yeah you know it'll be something and let it let me reiterate also before we get out of here um do not go out and try to prevent COVID 19 infection via smoking <laughs> weed pot grass reefer chronic ganja lace Bush, Kush, Hash, or whatever the hell they're calling marijuana these days, all right? You did not hear that from the Black Psychologist podcast that you could fight COVID-19 with all of those things that I just mentioned, all right? That's, I'm, not, that's not what it is. I'm not endorsing that by you, any means necessary. I'm just mad that you just said reefer on a show with me. Hey, listen, okay? There are, there's a good population of people that go out, okay, that still call it that. I'm speaking to everybody. You know and I know. All right. Listen, there is nobody who calls it that that does not have an AARP card. Hey, listen, hey, I'm talking. We're talking to them too. And, and they've been getting it. They've been getting that AARP magazine for about 15 years. That's right. That's right. And that's that's who the podcast is for. It's for everybody. Hey, no right. disrespect. For, for all no, disrespect. No, no disrespect <laughs> to my senior citizen. Hey, absolutely not. <laughs> so you should still go out and listen to the CDC people as opposed to going out and, and eating CBDs. All right, guys. So listen. All right. We are encouraging. All right. But people still go out there, protect yourself, vaccines, all these other things. All right. So 
you know, but now nah, it's, it's, it's interesting, but it'll absolutely be um, interesting to, to watch these developments. All right. Jay, anything else before we get out of here? Uh, nothing much, man. Of course, we just want to thank everybody who takes the time to watch and listen. Really uh, appreciate it. Um, again, appreciate all the suggestions we get, you know, time to time with the, for the articles um, and the feedback. So uh, please continue to like and share the videos if you have time to. Um, and again, we're going to continue with the content. So appreciate it. Absolutely. Uh, we want to make sure everybody stay healthy out there. Everybody continue to stay warm. It's cold out there. Jack Frost is being very, very mean. Um, so make sure you bundle up. Make sure uh, we wishing everybody good mental health. Um, tomorrow is um, Dr. Martin Luther King uh, Jr., the holiday and observance. So for those people that have off, enjoy your day off um, as we observe and remembrance of this great man. Um, and yeah, continue, you know, the feedback. We, we appreciate everybody's support, everybody, you know, leaving comments and ideas and other different topics that they want us to talk about. You know, continue to send those through and continue to subscribe and like. Uh, we appreciate it. All right, Jay, we're going to check out these games, you know, this weekend. So uh, we'll, we'll get into it, you know? That's right. That's right. right. Yeah, I'm going to holler at you later, bro. All right. All right.